Okay, welcome to the United Pubcast, another special edition as we have done in um, previous weeks during this lockdown. We have managed to um, get a few guests on, um, which we've really enjoyed um, having sort of different guests from all over the world. And a, another very special guest um, from a part of the world which we definitely haven't had one yet. But um, if you followed him on Facebook, I'm sure you know who this man is. Um, Mr. Dr. Barry Schmeiser. Have I pronounced that right, Barry? You have. Thank you. No, beautiful. Um, yeah, and it's not um, every day we have a doctor on the podcast, so I'm very thrilled. Um, I'm sure my mum, who will probably be listening to this, will be very happy um, as an ex-nurse. But um, I think we might as well just get... We've got to get into um, sort of previous podcasts we've had with people around the world, sort of just because there's obviously no football to talk about. We discuss sort of their life support in United, where they support from, what the challenges facing, etc. trips to Old Trafford. And you have a very sort of interesting story, which we'll definitely get into. But I think we'll just start on, as football is starting to creep back a little bit, um, I just want your thoughts generally as, sort of, as a doctor, as a medical professional, your view on sort of what a return to football and maybe sort of centred around the Premier League and Man United, obviously, what that looks like to you, because there's so many different opinions on should it come back, when should it come back. We've seen overnight the German league has um, finally come back. So just um, your general opinion on how football's handled itself over the last couple of weeks and sort of just your general opinion on how it's going to end up returning. Yeah. Um, thank you, Tom. And firstly, thank you very, very much for having me on your program. Um and I send best wishes to all my fellow Reds, especially those in Australia. Um, you know, I think um, medicine is not dissimilar to football in as much as there are so many divided opinions. And we are living in a crazy world at the moment. And in many respects, we're feeling our way as time goes on. There's so many varying opinions. And I think that football has to follow the lead from what is coming from prevailing medical opinion. And I think that football as we know it as spectators has changed unbelievably um, at stating the obvious. And to be honest, I don't know when we'll be able to go and sit amongst one another at the theater of dreams again. So clearly we're in for a period of time where it's gonna be played behind locked doors. I don't know if you like me, the couple of games that I watched um, on television um, that were done behind locked doors were totally devoid of atmosphere. Yeah. But right now, I guess we'll take anything that we can get. And I think it's going to be a long, long time before we are restored to some semblance of normality in public places. But we've got to be guided by the key opinion leaders in the medical world. And I guess it varies from country to country. But you'll have noticed in the UK, the FA their statement was it was their ambition to start the league again in a couple of weeks time and i think that was um, very ambiguously put because we'll have to wait and see what happens i don't think we'll see it starting in a couple of weeks but that's just a sense of what i feel rather than an educated opinion um, we'll have to see where this goes yeah i think it's hard like was sort of i think everyone's sort of looking with sort of bated breath looking at the German league and how they went about it and sort of I think everyone's sort of override opinion was just happy to see football back as you say the atmosphere wasn't fantastic but it was good to see yeah. some sort of version of live sure. sport 
But yeah. um, right now we'll take whatever we can get. Exactly, but you sort of saw the measures, like you saw the bench, like the the benches were on the sideline and they had their mask on and they were social distancing. And then you think, well, if they're yes. doing that, and then three minutes later they're going out onto the field and then sweating all over their opponents. You just sort of don't know where, where that line is. So um, absolutely. Will, yeah. will they change the rules that when we're lining up for a corner kick, the centre-back has to socially distance from the striker? <laughs> it's, um, well, we can have a laugh about a lot of these rules, but you just never know what's, what's um, going to happen and what the price will pay for, uh, what, what the price will sort of be in terms of we all want football back. Maybe there is going to have to be some sort of um, yeah. compromise, unfortunately, but... Very, very much so. I, I think we have to look at health issues first and foremost, and sport comes way behind that in, in truth. Yeah, no, 100% agree. Um, now, we'll try and get on to a bit sort of um, more exciting topics now, and obviously Manchester United. Um, I think we'll just start at the start, um, obviously from South Africa. Why United? How did your United sort of support in life um, begin? Yeah, um, I think, well, firstly, I've been a United fan from about 1964, 65, round about then. So it's a sign of my age. In fact, I was born in the year of the Munich air crash. And like many young kids, I guess I was impressionable. Um, I had older cousins who were Man United supporters. And my earliest recollection of any photograph of Man United was my grandmother cutting out a card on the back of a cereal box um, of Dennis Law. That is my earliest recollection of Man United, and I kind of followed suit with my older cousins. In 1967, um, my father needed to obtain a certificate from the Pharmaceutical Society in England. So we traveled to the UK, and in fact, on the day that we arrived, the headlines in the newspaper were all around George Best having scored two goals at Anfield to beat Liverpool. And that was the start of a love affair, I think. Um, I'd seen pictures of George, pictures of the United players, and that really set me off. And in fact, I was able to watch United play live for the first time in 1967, and George Best was playing. So it really all stemmed from there. Uh, amazing. I think around that time, and you'd be the one to obviously um, correct me, but would George Best have been, sort of obviously you remember Dennis Law as your almost first memory, but George Best, that sort of first player, was he obviously, was he your favourite player growing up or was it sort of, you didn't really look at it thing, things like that or was he Absolutely. definitely? To this day, he remains my favourite player, the best player that I've ever seen play. And um, he was just sublime. And in fact, um, when he ended his career at United and he became quite a nomadic fellow going all over the world and playing, he actually came to Johannesburg in 1974 and he guested for a club site here called Jewish Guild. And um, I met him um, when he came out. We used to go and watch the team training um, at the local field. And I kid you not, in training, even though he was relatively out of shape, he used to get the ball in his own penalty box from the goalkeeper and dribble up the entire field. Mm. He was absolutely sublime to watch. Played a few games for one of the local teams. And interestingly, the first game that he played in, the opposition team, who were called Hellenic, who were a Cape Town-based team, had Bobby Moore guesting for them. 
So the stadium was chock-a-block, you know, to watch, really, to watch George play. Yeah, no, I think he even had a spell before I was born. He even came to Australia as well and sort of had one of those, as you say, sort of one of those guest stints. I think he played up in Brisbane for sort of four or five games, um, which right. I'm sure some of our older Australian right. listeners right. would have known. Right. But, um, and when, when he came out to South Africa, his kind of business manager at the time was a fellow called Malcolm Wagner. And he's a chap I've remained in contact with to this day. He lives in Manchester. And on my visits there, I'm still able to hook up with him. Lovely guy. And he was, um, you know, a great friend of George's. So lots and lots of stories and anecdotes from him. And in fact, he's written a book, Malcolm. It's called Waggy's Tale. And um, he, he um, speaks about, amongst many other things, that visit to Johannesburg. Yeah, no, beautiful. Um, you just mentioned that in terms of sort of first matches. You remember, and obviously, that George Best double at Anfield. But did you have a sort of a favourite match that sort of, sort of, well, my one is I always remember the 94 FA Cup final. That's my first image of United where I remember sort of the rain, Eric Cantona's collar, etc. Was yep. there a favourite match, match growing up sort of surrounding George Best? Well, there are, there are so many of them. And I suppose the one that he's remembered for the most was when United thrashed Benfica 5-1 in Lisbon. Um, and he earned himself the moniker of El Beetle. Mm. Um, that's probably the game best remembered. Um, probably one of my best memories of him was in the 1971 season. Sheffield United started off as um, like, a, like a freight train. They were beating everyone in sight. They came to Old Trafford and he scored a sublime goal. There, there's a lot of footage of that where he gets the ball in kind of central midfield and he takes it out wide. He beats a lot of players and bangs it in. So that's one that I remember. And of course, his goal in the European Cup final. Um, but let's remember, he scored 178 goals for United and many of them were unbelievably spectacular. Another one that I remember him for was a goal that was disallowed and that was in the shirt of Northern Ireland when they were playing England and Gordon Banks yeah. threw the ball up and George dispossessed him, put the ball in the net. Can't really see anything wrong with that. Yeah, and no, I remember that. It was really good visual, that. Or I remember obviously watching on the old VHS tapes. But um, yeah. just mentioned there um, in regards to sort of meeting players, which we mentioned at the start of the podcast, um, sort of you've got very interesting stories. Sort of when you were over in the UK, you developed quite a sort of strong connection with the club and had... Some like if anyone's followed you on Facebook, some of the sort of players you've met and managers you've met, etc. Um, almost quite a behind the behind the scenes look you've you've had at United. Just wondering, just getting into a little bit of that. First of all, sort of how did that come about in regards to sort of getting your foot in the door, so to speak? Yeah. Um, firstly, I've got to say I've been really, really privileged to have been able to do that, and I sincerely hope that any comments I make don't come across as being conceited or anything like that because I've really been lucky. And I think to myself, here I am, I live thousands of miles away from Manchester and I've had these wonderful experiences and there are probably a whole bunch of people that live within a stone's throw of Old Trafford who have never had the privilege of watching them play. So I'm really grateful for that. But um, after seeing them for the first time live in 1967, it was only in 1983 that I next saw them in a live game, and that was in Manchester, in fact. And what I did, I'd finished my internship 
here in Johannesburg. And in those days, we had to do national service. And there was a break of a few months between the end of the internship and the start of the national service. So I traveled overseas. And before going, I looked up in the telephone directory, which I guess is a, a, a book that is foreign to many of the younger listeners over here. Um, I looked up the name of Gary Bailey, who was the incumbent Man United goalkeeper at the time. His dad lived in Johannesburg. Um, his name was Roy. And in fact, Roy played for Ipswich and won a league winner's medal with Ipswich Town. And he was one of Gary's earliest coaches. Looked up his phone number, asked him, well, I mentioned I was going across to the UK and asked him if there was any ways I could meet Gary and go and watch him training. And of course, that was in the pre-internet days. Um, he had some letters and a small parcel for Gary, which he asked me to transport. And I met Gary um, at the cliff, the old training ground. And that was my sort of earliest connection. Now, in those days, the training ground was open to the public, except on the day prior to a match. So you could go in there and watch the team training. There were sort of barriers put up that you had to stand behind. But Gary was wonderful um, to me, um, a really, really nice fellow. And he introduced me to a number of guys that worked in the admin department at Old Trafford, um, especially a fellow called Barry Moorhouse, who was handling overseas supporters clubs. And this led to the establishment of our supporters club, which we started in 1990. So we are 30 years old. Um, and Barry became a contact of mine over there. To the point in those days, there was really very, very little in the way of security. So before games, I was given access to the players' lounge and after games and access to the training ground to go onto the field. And the players generally were really very, very pleasant to, to deal with, with a couple of exceptions. And that all went on for a number of years until United moved to Carrington. And when they moved to Carrington, that was closed to the public. But lo and behold, in early 2002, um, to my consulting rooms came to see me as a, as a patient, Carlos Queros. Now, Carlos had just been fired by the South African national team. And there's a lot of memorabilia hanging up in my office. He obviously saw all this, but didn't say a word about it. In fact, we didn't speak at all about football. And a couple of weeks later, um, Carlos was appointed as Alex Ferguson's um, assistant. So I dashed, um, this I saw on Sky News um, late at night, I dashed to my office, got hold of Carlos's mobile number and phoned him up and asked him why the heck he hadn't mentioned anything to me. Um, he said that he was at a sensitive stage of negotiations, but then came the magic words. When I'm next in Manchester, contact him. And that's all the start of a friendship with Carlos and a lot of access to the club and some wonderful experiences. And just to mention, um, the fact that he came to see me as a patient, he's an extremely healthy person, so there's nothing wrong with him. And it's a contact that I've maintained over the years, even when he was coaching Portugal, Iran, and now Colombia, we've stayed in touch and just the most wonderful man. So that gave me some fantastic opportunities. Oh, it's an unbelievable story and um, one that not many people would have. Um, as you say, just sort of almost written in the stars and very much a sort of very fortunate coincidence. But um, just looking at, on that time, especially sort of moving on sort of to Carrington and sort of 
I don't know how you describe it, the sort of club sort of developed into this new sort of beast in terms of sort of the global brand they became and it was very sort of uh, sort of behind closed doors, very exclusive sort of thing. And as you mentioned, you're extremely fortunate to um, sort of have that inside look. But just in terms of any sort of, without going into anything too personal, anything we don't need to hear about, but any um, sort of standout memories in terms of plays you met or Sir Alex, meetings with Sir Alex Ferguson or anything that sort of you always look back at with um, a, lot, a lot of pride? Yeah, there's really, there's been many. Um, for example, um, at the Cliff, 1995, meeting Eric Cantona. And as you've often seen, Eric spoke far better English than we are led to believe. Mm. When he heard I was from South Africa, the conversation really revolved around South African politics, Nelson Mandela. He was very, very interesting. Uh, he was interested and engaging to speak to. So that was, that was a good memory. Um, another good memory of, of the cliff was on one particular day, um, they were training and David Beckham had to leave because he was ill. And on going to his car, there were probably about 200 people that besieged him, despite the fact that he was ill going home. And I can tell you, he signed every autograph over there um, before, before leaving. And uh, that, that really created a, a good impression. Um, in terms of players met and nice people, going back to Gary Bailey's day, um, I mean, Gary's a consummate gentleman, but Ray Wilkins, one of the nicest mm. people that you can meet um, of the sort of more recent players, Philip Neville, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, two really lovely people, and may surprise you, but Cristiano Ronaldo, also lovely guy and when he was at United they used to joke that Carlos was his sort of surrogate father you know both of them being Portuguese speaking Carlos of course from Mozambique Cristiano from Madeira so these are all you know really really nice people to to have met very engaging um, Wes Brown John O'Shea lovely guys um, so the, the list is endless um, as far as Alex Ferguson is concerned like I say, I was really privileged. And in the time that Carlos was at United, I often, when going to Carrington, would sit and have lunch with him afterwards. And there was a communal dining room where all the coaching staff, players, be it senior or junior, met. The coaches used to sit together. So, you know, I sat in Fergie's company on many occasions. And in all honesty, I think the first time I met Fergie, my tongue was glued to the roof of my mouth. He's mm -hmm. a most unbelievable person. It takes a while to get used to his accent. Um, he's got a very broad Scottish accent and a little bit difficult to understand. And if I can throw in one other anecdote, on one of my visits to the cliff, um, it was in about 1998, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, Quinton Fortune was playing there and I struck up a conversation with him, obviously being a fellow South African. And at the end of the training session, he kindly offered me a lift back to my hotel. And um, he was also giving a lift to Mikhail Silvestri, who had recently been signed by United. So I was sitting in the back of the vehicle. The two of them were having a chat. And Silvestri asked Quinton, you know, kind of, you know, how the land lies, the do's and the don'ts. And I remember Quinton saying to him, whatever you do, whatever you do, just don't piss off the manager. That was, you know, they, they really, they, the respect that they had for Fergie was phenomenal. 
unbelievable man. Yeah, no, um, it's a, just a few amazing stories there. And just, just sort of rejog my memory there, you sort of mentioned very similar situation in regards to David Beckham and Cristiano Ronaldo, and they're sort of obviously two sort of global superstars. They almost transcend the sport, and they have this perception of this sort of celebrity status and sort of very sort of standoffish sort of thing. However, if you do speak to people who have been close to them over the years, they say they're the most down-to-earth and humble people. Um, it's just the media has a very different perception of them, but those yeah. close and in and around the training ground always um, have nothing but nice things to say about them. The one I always remember then is the person who has the best things to say about David Beckham and Cristiano Ronaldo is Roy Keane. And Roy Keane is one of the people that you'd think would sort of maybe turn his eye at those two players. However, he's the yeah. one who has nothing but praise for them, saying they're yeah. the most yeah. ultimate professionals and... Um, yeah. yeah, no, it's really good to hear about that because obviously yeah. Beckham and Ronaldo is sort of idolised by a lot of our fan base and yeah. rightly so. Well, talking about Roy Keane, certainly when watching the team training, there was no holding back. I mean, Keane was as big a beast on the training field, if not bigger, than um, at the actual matches. And, you know, his was the voice that you would hear ringing out over the training ground above anybody else. I mean, he was... Fergie's first lieutenant on the field and you know as is always said led by example and um, I mean a real leader that's for sure yeah no 100% well yeah don't need to praise Roy Keane on here he's obviously for anyone listening obviously my favorite player of all time um, could talk about him all day but we'll try and move on and um, as I said before anyone who has followed you on Facebook um, we'll have sort of obviously seen some unbelievable um, pieces of memorabilia. Now, you obviously, we don't have six hours to go through every single piece. I'm just wondering um, sort of what your sort of memorable pieces, what, what your favourite pieces are, and not just your favourite pieces, but also you have so many different things. What sort of is your favourite type of memorabilia? Like, is it a signed shirt? Is it, yeah. a, is it a book? Is it a photo, etc.? And just a, a little bit yeah. about your collection. Yeah, I think firstly on the subject of memorabilia, um, I think probably you guys will identify with me from the point of view that you, like me, live far away from the UK. Mm. So um, accessing memorabilia back in the 60s, the 70s, there was very, very little stuff around. And of course, more recently, the exchange rate um, for us in South Africa is absolutely horrific. Um, when the lockdown is over, you guys from Australia should come and visit South Africa because your money is very, very powerful over here. So this is a huge issue for us. The other thing with respect to memorabilia is there are a fortune of forgeries out mm, there. Yeah. So the stuff that I've got is really stuff that I've had signed in front of me um, in the main. Yeah. Um, and I've got a, a favorite photograph um, the photograph is from 1993, where um, my friend Barry Moorhouse took me into Old Trafford and I met Sir Matt Busby. And it was about a year before Sir Matt died. And whilst I was chatting with him in his office, Fergie stuck his head inside and came in for a chat. So I have a photograph taken with the two of them, um, which I've captioned the day I met two nights. And um, that is a, a treasured possession. Um, another item that I, I also treasure was given to me by the wife of one of our members of our supporters club who unfortunately passed away many, many years ago. 
but she brought me a couple of his items. And one of them was an old school exercise book. And paging through this, I saw a page of signatures, Man United 1957. And um, these signatures are the signatures of the Busby Babes. So those, those are treasured possessions. But, you know, these are material objects. I think the memories are more, are more vivid than anything else. Yeah. What I did in years gone by is I used to prefer getting um, team posters signed rather than shirts. Um, more recently, probably shirts. But um, it's, it's the personal experiences. And I suppose like many United fans, um, you kind of, if you've got an understanding wife, you have a man cave where you put a whole lot of your stuff. But I have to say that um, my collection pales into insignificance compared to some of the collections I've seen of guys in, in Manchester. But they're all treasured possessions. Um, and as I say, the vast, vast majority of them were signed in front of me or were obtained for me by my contacts over there. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I think you just made a good point there. Um, obviously, what, all the memorabilia is sort of very sort of valuable to each individual. But I think you're right in terms of the memories, in terms of just it might even be a conversation, it might be a moment, it might be some even just in a ground, just a visual, something you might see. I think they're the ones that just sort of always sort of stick in your mind more so than sort of something physical. Hundred um, percent, and and one of the other and one of the other things is meeting like-minded United fans from all over the world. It's mm. it's amazing. No, one hundred percent. Just moving on a little bit, and two players you um, mentioned just a little bit earlier, and um, obviously from South Africa, we'll just touch on them a little bit in both Gary Bailey and Quinton Fortune. Um, obviously, both yeah. two players who had very good careers at United. I'm just wondering, just sort of sort of their effect on South Africa or the, how they're viewed in South Africa, both in regards to football and obviously playing for Man United, sort of what sort of impact it has or did have. Yeah, yeah. I think um, Gary especially is held in very, very high esteem because when Gary's career got cut short at United, really tragically at the age of 28, let's bear in mind that um, in terms of appearances by goalkeepers, it's only Alex Stepney, Peter Schmeichel, and more recently, David De Gea, that have played more games as a goalkeeper than Gary. Mm. So Gary pretty much played virtually every United game from 1978 to 1986. And when he finished in the UK, um, he was able to continue for a couple of seasons in South Africa. And he played for one of the local teams called Kaiser Chiefs. And of course, he became a big favourite amongst the Chiefs' support they are the most popular team here in South Africa. And then Gary um, became a pundit on TV. He's an excellent pundit and he's a very clever guy. He subsequently went on and got an MBA degree and um, he's relocated to the USA. Um, and he, he's really regarded as probably our favorite South African footballer, although he was born in the UK. Um, equally so, Quinton Fortune represented the South African national team on many occasions. Um, we've hosted him here in South Africa a couple of times. An extremely nice fellow and probably an underrated player. Um, you know, he was there at a time where he was competing in the midfield with, you know, the likes of Keane and Scholes. So a bit of a bit player. If my stats are right, including substitute appearances, 125 games for United. And 
He never played the prerequisite 10 games to win a premiership medal. But my understanding is that he was given one for his nine appearances in the um, 2002-03 Premiership winning mm. team. So he's also very, very highly regarded here and, and you know, a good ambassador for us. Yeah, I, I thought, obviously, Gary Bailey was before my time, but Quinton Fortune, I, I still remember him growing up. And I, I thought, as you said, he's a, what you'd probably call a bit part player. But I thought he was a fantastic player in terms of he was very yeah. sort of versatile. I remember him filling in at left back for like a big chunk of one Correct. of the seasons. And um, I, I, I thought he... Did very well, and it was sort of always good to see players like that um, stick around. He's obviously got, yeah. I think, some type of ambassadorial role or role with MUTVs yeah. in well, and around the place, look, which is good. Yes, and and you know um, he now is um, one of the assistant coaches with the reserves, so he still has a connection with the club. And um, Roy Keener said that he found Quinton the most combative player on the training field, which is high praise indeed. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Especially coming from Kino. Now, sticking on the South African subject, which we mentioned a little bit before, right at the start of the podcast. Obviously, this is members' podcast for the Man United Supporters Club in New South Wales, here in Sydney. Um, obviously, you're part of the South African Supporters Club, and you just mentioned there it's your thirtieth season or thirtieth year as an official supporters yes. club. I'm just wondering, yes. uh, as you said, Gary Bailey was sort of key in um, founding the club. Just a little bit of background and about the Supporters Club. Yes. So we founded the Supporters Club in 1990. And in fact, Gary was part of our Supporters Club. And Gary was the chairman of our Supporters Club for many, many years. Um, he subsequently, and it's a standing joke here, he, he was replaced by me because he had too many commitments in terms of attending meetings, etc. So we established Gary as our honorary life president. Um, and of course, you know, to have a figurehead like Gary Bailey um, connected with the supporters club is fantastic. And what started off as the small group really grew into a very, very large group. Um, you know, we used to get hundreds of people to meetings in the pre-internet era. Since the advent of satellite television, internet, etc., where everybody can watch everything in the comfort of their own homes, obviously fewer people. But we've had Man United tour South Africa on three occasions, um, so that that was fantastic. Um, in fact, the last time that they toured here was at the start of Fergie's last season at United. Yeah. Um, they've not been here subsequently. And I think for financial reasons, it's unlikely that we'll see them tour here again because the money is in the Far East and in um, the USA. Yeah. But of course, you've had United touring your lovely country um, more recently. Um, and, you know, th these were special, special occasions when they came. And, you know, just... One other mention on the South African connection, and I mean, this is from history, but another one, another ex-United player that spent many years in South Africa was the late Eddie Lewis. And Eddie was one of the original Busby Babes. He played only 22 games for United, but he played for United in the early 50s and probably would have forged a career at United had they not signed Tommy Taylor. And Eddie went on to play for Leighton Orient and West Ham and manage a lot of teams. And in fact, he managed teams here in South Africa. So he is one. And those of you history minded should look up Eddie Lewis because he was somebody that also, we, you know, we were privileged to have here. 
that's our supporters club our supporters club have an annual visit to old trafford and as i mentioned the exchange rate is absolutely horrific for us so it's uh, you know it's not a cheap exercise to go and visit over there but we've managed to organize fantastic tours for our members over there at very reasonable prices um, unfortunately what we're unable to do nowadays is to go to carrington it used to be part of the tour and i have to say that my days of access at carrington are due to security measures of mm. late are also over i've not been there for a couple of years yeah no it's um definitely a different beast now but i'm um, just wondering south africa because obviously i don't think you can get too far away for, or more further away than um sydney to manchester and we face a lot of challenges yeah. the main one is obviously the kickoff times just wondering what the kickoff times are for you in a sort of a normal premier league season um yes yeah, so you in? For, yeah for us it's much easier because in the british winter we are two hours ahead of the uk and in the summer we're an hour ahead um, we've only had um, live football on television since 1977. So prior to that, one used to have to listen on the radio to the BBC World Service, which was on shortwave radio. And if you lived in an apartment block, the signal indoors was terrible. You used to have to go outside. Now, South African winters can get quite harsh. And we used to have to, we used to get the scores usually at 2 a.m. our time on the BBC World Service. So I spent many an evening outside in the freezing cold getting the latest results. But the time factor doesn't affect us. Um, as I mentioned to you earlier, um, I, I visited Sydney last year, and I have to say my sleep patterns were absolutely atrocious mm. because I was kind of either staying up all night to watch games on MUTV or to stream them or to listen to them. So I was like a walking zombie. I don't know how you guys do it. Oh, it's just, yeah, just part of the routine now. I think um, a lot of us live our lives on sort of the alarm clock, um, 3 a.m. kickoffs on a Monday morning. Um, now that we're in the Europa League, it doesn't help. A lot of the games in England have moved to Sunday in England, which means Monday morning um, Australian time, which does make it a little bit tough in recent seasons. But um, we'll get used to it. At the moment, yeah, I think our sleeping pattern's a little bit better at the moment. Um, we'll get a lot more sleep with no football. But um, hopefully <laughs> that finishes soon. Hopefully the football does return. And I think we'll wrap up the podcast actually talking a little bit of football and sort of more recent events. And um, just your opinion, you mentioned him earlier in the podcast in terms of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, first of all, just his sort of his time at the club as a manager, how you think, because it's been turbulent up and down. Like Everyone sort of loves Solskjaer, obviously. But there's no hiding from yeah. the fact it has been up and down. Um, just your yeah. thoughts on how he has done since he's come in? Yeah, well, you know, I suppose as football fans, we all like to consider ourselves armchair experts and we're a fickle bunch. Yeah. When it's going well, we support every the manager. When it's going badly, we blame the manager. And if you look at Oli's time at United, it's kind of gone in three phases. Initially, when he was the caretaker manager, we were flying high. The football was amazing. We were scoring lots of goals. We were playing attacking football. And then suddenly he gets the job full time and, you know, so to speak, the wheels come off. And I, I found that very, very difficult to explain. But one thing I have to say about him is dogged determination. Even through those difficult times, he had his methods. He had his ways. 
And, you know, the knives were out for him. But, of course, in more recent times, he's turned it around. And one thing I've come to realize a long time ago is I don't believe anything that's written in the media. Mm. Um, they drum up all sorts of stories. You know, we, we are linked every transfer window with 150 different players. And you can rest assured, one day you hear he's coming, the next day there's a snag, wada wada. So I don't believe anything that's there. But if you look at the four signings that Oli has made, They've all been successful. They've been good signings. They're playing well. And I think that he has a plan. Um, if you look at the coaching staff he has around him, they're young coaches. They may be a little bit technically naive, but it's become a young man's game. If you look at his predecessors, especially Jose and Van Gaal, um, you know, are these guys being relegated to sort of the dinosaur era? Um so I think Oli's a forward-thinking manager. And certainly United's performances in the couple of months prior to lockdown were brilliant. Um, I think the signing of Bruno Fernandes has been a game-changer, um, a big uh, big change in the way the team is playing. And, you know, I, I don't like basing my opinions on the media. And certainly we had gained momentum. And this locked or look... The coronavirus is devastating for the world. So to make a flippant comment, it's come at a bad time for United fans. It's come at a bad time for everybody. Mm. But um, we were playing great football leading up to that. And let's hope it continues. And I, I think you've got to give him time. This business of chopping and changing the manager every season um, is no good. Um, but I'll contradict myself by saying that when they chopped David Moyes after a few months, that certainly came as a relief. <laughs> no, no, I completely agree. And you pretty much echoed um, my opinion and obviously my co-host, Larry, our thoughts on Solskjaer. You can have whatever opinion on certain tactical decisions or whatever, but I think the, most, the, the big thing for both of us comes down to how well he has done in terms of changing the mood and especially with those signings. Every single sign-in, looks like a Man United signing and sort of is a sort of sign and a step in the right direction. And I think that is where you do have to um, give him time because if, if you do chop and change it, look, we've done that dance before and um, it's a vicious, vicious circle that sort of has no end. So um, look, I think he does need a strong finish to the season um, because obviously the media speculation, which you, as you said, you can't read too much into it, but um, it does apply a lot of pressure that fingers crossed he can deal with it because I think everyone yes. is um, praying he yes. does succeed. But um, yes. I, I'm with you. I think he's taken the right steps into succeeding. Yes. I think on, you know, and also on a positive note, we've seen youngsters like Brandon Williams and Mason Greenwood establish themselves as terrific players. And there are a couple of other youngsters, you know, in the wings, Jimmy Garner, Dylan Levitt. You know, there are some good youngsters, hopefully, that will come through. I don't think he's scared to blood these youngsters. And... I have to say, I'd like to see, you know, you know, I'd like to see a couple of new signings at the club and to be contentious for a moment because I don't like speaking in negativity, but I'd like to see fewer appearances by the likes of players like Lingard and Pereira. Yeah, no, well, that's, um, that opinion is definitely welcome on this podcast. But, um, well, to be fair, I'm a fan of both those players. However, yes, their performances this season have... Um... Well, they've just been and not not been good enough. I think they're very good players, no. but um, I think maybe just time has run its course, and it is time for, for them as well, not just the club, 
but maybe they need a new challenge as well. Um, Very much so. But I think that just about wraps up. I just want to, just before we um, finish, just to thank you on behalf, because obviously all the supporters clubs around the world do try and stay in touch and connect and sort of network, etc. So just to thank you on behalf yes. of our supporters club here in Sydney, New South Wales. Um, Mark O'Connor, our chairman, obviously has a lot of good things to say about you. And we've sort of all sort of seen, as we mentioned earlier, your memorabilia collection and just going through some of the photos and... Um, everything it's almost just something which we've mentioned on the podcast before um as big as this club is it's still weirdly at, the, at its core it does have a very family feel and when you see someone enjoying themselves as a united fan or something it does make you feel good so um everything you put up on terms of facebook or someone puts something up on twitter that um is positive and sort of sheds a, a good experience um i think in a time like this when the world is sort of in a difficult time, I think um, the positivity that United can bring is um, a good thing for everyone's health. Absolutely. And um, I really, I'm most, um, I feel flattered and privileged that you've included me on your podcast. You've mentioned Mark O'Connor. What a lovely guy. Um, so nice to meet up with him in Manchester. Um, a really, really lovely fellow. My best wishes to him and to all your members. Come to South Africa when the lockdown is over. Um, the cost of a beer over here, you can't believe how cheap it'll be for you guys. And if any of you do come here, please make a connection because we'd love to host you um, at one of our supporters' dues. It would be our absolute pleasure. And once this lockdown is over, I certainly look forward to visiting the absolutely beautiful Sydney again and to hopefully meeting some of you guys face-to-face. No, sounds good. It sounds um Really good. And on that note, I think it is about time. And as I said, in terms of um, connecting with different supporters, I will leave a link to all the um, sort of Twitter pages and Facebook pages of the South African Supporters Club. So um, anyone who is looking for a little bit of a holiday post um, lockdown, uh, maybe put it top of your list. Um, so first of all, thank you again, Dr. Barry Schmeiser. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Tom. And best wishes to you, to your family, um, to all of you guys over there, stay well, stay safe. And as we also supporters, keep the red flag flying high. No, perfect. And um, appreciate everyone who listened to this. Hopefully you enjoyed it, something a little bit different. And make sure you like and subscribe on whatever podcast app you listen to or listen through um, and share or on, on Facebook and Twitter, etc. That would be very much appreciated. So hopefully enjoy this podcast and me and Larry will chat to you hopefully in a couple of days. So keep safe and cheers. Bye.